Alright, we're going to finish our series that our pastor started last week out of 2 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. And uh, we're talking about will you finish? Will you finish? Last week was chapter 1. This week I'm going to be reading out of that second chapter as you're finding that second chapter. Let me tell you a little story about Charleston, South Carolina. There is a giant bridge run they call in uh, Charleston, they tell me it's the second largest uh, running event in the nation behind the Boston Marathon. It's this 10K run where tens of thousands of people show up and they start over in Mount Pleasant and they run across that great bridge that spans uh, the Cooper River and they run into the downtown area and it's the Charleston Bridge Run. It's about a 10K run. Now, you'll never find me in that 10K run, but there are like 30,000 people that show up from everywhere to do this bridge run. And it's really interesting on the weekend that it happens because everyone shows up. It's a really big deal. And uh, if you're over in the Mount Pleasant area, it's like this sea of humanity that's lined up at the starting line. In fact, they tell me it takes probably over an hour because of the number of people lined up on that street, 30,000 people lined up to go through the starting gate in order to do the bridge run. Now, they have actually professional runners come as well. Uh, the guys from, you know, Nigeria and Ethiopia, uh, those guys, those guys always come in limousines. I mean, they come by in their limousine and they drop them off at the starting gate and they do a few stretching exercises and then they run a 10K in about 30 minutes, which is remarkable. Everyone else, you know, is, is all different types of runners. And so you have, you have some runners that, that do a good job, but you have other runners like seniors or children that are running in the event and they can take up to half a day, two thirds of a day, even three quarters of a day. They've had people come in late in the afternoon, uh, from running or walking or whatever they're doing, shuffling their, their 10 K run. Now I tell you this point because one of the interesting things uh, that happens with all of this is that is that once you finish, your name will go in the paper, the newspaper, the Charleston Post and Courier will print the, a list of names of every single person who completed the bridge run. Now you can only imagine with 30,000 people uh, completing a bridge run, that would take, I mean, five, six, ten pages of newsprint, I mean, your name's only about yay big with your time, but everyone's name, not everyone who started, mind you, but everyone who finished. That's how you get your name in the paper. And it doesn't matter whether you're a professional runner that you can run it in 30 minutes or whether you took three quarters of the day, your name is going to be found in the newspaper. Now, I tell you that story because it's going to be the springboard to get into what we want to talk about here in chapter 2. Because it sort of paints the picture of what Paul begins to do in order to help people understand what it means to finish. And 2 Timothy has to deal with finishing. You are aware that starting lines are crowded. Finish lines look a whole lot different. There are people jam-packed in on that starting line, but you get to the finish line and they're not crossing in these jam-packed groups. They're just crossing one at a time. And so it doesn't really matter so much how you start. It matters more as to how you're going to finish. And so Paul, interestingly, begins to paint some pictures in this second chapter. In fact, he takes it to a whole different level. 
The Charleston Post and Courier, the newspaper, it puts in only the finishers. But Paul, interestingly enough, not only gives us some names of some finishers, but he's going to give us some names of some quitters. How would you like to be memorialized for eternity? You know, God's word is forever established in the heavens. It will endure forever. The flower may fade, the grass may wither, but the word of our God will stand forever. You are eternally memorialized in the word of God as a quitter. How about that? Well, that's exactly what Paul does. In fact, in that second chapter, it's interesting. I I won't read to you the whole chapter, but if you happen just to be looking there, it's interesting that in verse 20, he'll talk about a great house. I believe he's talking about the church. And he says, in a great house, there are going to be vessels of gold and silver. I believe those are finishers. But he says, there'll also be those of wood and clay. I think those are quitters. Says some for honor, some for dishonor. So he says, if anyone cleanses himself for the latter, he can be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. So Paul's saying, if you build with gold and silver, if you're building your life with precious things, if you're building your life and doing your journey with precious things, you'll be a finisher. But he says, if you're building it with fleeting things and temporal things like wood and clay, it will collapse after time. And he goes on to say, I'm going to give you some examples. Now, these people may not be familiar to you, but I just want to mention their names. I figure if Paul was inspired of God to write them down, then we ought to mention them this morning. For example, in chapter 1, he talks about Lois and Eunice. That was Timothy's mom and grandmom. He says, these two ladies are finishers. But then he talks about Phagellus and Hermogenes. Hermogenes sounds like something you do to your milk. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Hermogenes. Oh, that's homogenized. I'm, I'm sorry. Hermogenes is his name. He says, these guys were quitters. These were non-finishers. But then there was Anisphorus. Now, he's a finisher. Then he gets into chapter 2. And again, this is later in chapter 2. I'm going to read to you some verses here. But he talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. You ever notice nobody in the Bible's ever named Roger or Bill? I mean, it's always these names here, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Then you go to chapter four and he talks about Demas. Demas loved this present world. And so it, he forsook Paul. And then he talks about Christians and Titus. Apparently they bail on him as well. But then he leaps over to Luke and Mark and Tychicus who he says are still on the finishers list. So he names some finishers and some quitters. And then at the end of chapter four, I love this. I don't know there's something about this that just makes me smile. I don't know why. But Paul talks about Alexander the coppersmith, who he says, God, God will get Alexander. (laughs) Have you ever wanted to say sickum God to somebody? Have you ever been praying about somebody in the middle of your prayer? You just wanted to go, God, sick them. You've had an Alexander the coppersmith in your life. Well, Paul did, and he memorialized him forever in Scripture. Apparently, he was not a finisher. And so I was thinking about all these names. Paul names names. And I thought to myself how that should motivate us. I mean, 
I mean, who wants to be memorialized as a quitter? Who wants to be forever known as the guy that, that, that Paul said, sick him to, you know, to God? Who wants to be known as this? I think it's, it's good to be reminded on occasion that the Bible says that there is this great cloud of witnesses that's in the heavenly bleachers. And they're watching all of us run this race. And the good news is they're cheering us on and they're cheering us on. Those that have ran before us. And they're cheering us on. They're wanting you to finish. They're wanting you to complete the race. But realize today that they, there are those that are watching. Most of all, God is watching. And they're watching to see, will you be a finisher? Or will you be a quitter? So Paul in chapter 2 decides he's going to continue the training. He's mentoring Timothy, who's pastoring this gigantic church in Ephesus. And he's going to illustrate about how to be a finisher in chapter 2 by using three different people that they could connect to, that they could relate to. And so I entitled the message this morning, A Soldier, An Athlete, and a Farmer. Almost sounds like I'm about ready to tell you a joke. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Listen to what he says, Second Timothy 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want to stop there for just a minute. Grace has come to us not to excuse us, but to strengthen us. You are given grace, not so you can quit and everybody will say, I understand. You've been given grace so you can finish and get a crown. Be strong in the grace. That is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men or people who will be able to teach others also. Now listen, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Now, Remember, Paul, as Pastor told us last week, is sitting in a jail cell. You remember that? He's in a jail cell, and as he's sitting in this jail cell, he's writing a letter explaining to Timothy how to be a finisher. You don't quit. Even if you're sitting in a jail cell, you don't quit. There's something authoritative about someone who finds himself for the sake of the gospel in a jail cell, looking you in the eye and telling you that if I'm not quitting and I'm sitting in a jail cell, what's your excuse? I have a deep respect for those who have earned their stripes through adversity. I hang around with a few guys that have actually spent some time in jail for the sake of the gospel, and there's a respect inside of me because I've never had to do that. I hope I don't have to do that, but in the day we're living in, you'll never know. 
But I'm here to tell you, when they look at me and say, I've been in a jail cell and I'm still preaching the gospel, you keep preaching the gospel. There's something authoritative in that particular moment. You know, in China, you can't even be a pastor unless you spent some jail time. In fact, if you go to Bible college or seminary in China, your field education course is prison. You're not considered a pastor unless you spent some jail time. Why is that? It's because they're not really sure if you're serious about the faith unless you were so serious that it landed you in a prison. In America, I realize that's not the mark of a leader. In China, the mark of a leader is jail time. In America, the mark of a leader is how many times you're retweeted. We ought to be ashamed. Paul's in a jail cell telling Timothy, finish, son. In fact, Timothy is a pastor of a church, we are told, that had approximately 25,000 people attached to the church at Ephesus. I would call that a megachurch. Think about 25,000 believers in a city of about 100,000. That's about 25% of the city is calling themselves Christian and you're the pastor of them all. It was a massive work. It was an influential work. But that church still faced incredible adversity and hostility on numerous fronts, much like today. And it's interesting that even though they were a large church, one thing still stayed the same, and it seems as if size does not always indicate depth. And so Paul begins to tell Timothy, he says, I'm going to share some things with you that are important not only for leaders to know, but when you get these into your system, I want you to turn around and make sure you teach other people this principle as well, because we want everybody to cross the finish line. So Paul says, I'm going to tell you about three different types of people. And these three types of people would have been easily recognizable to those who are in the first century. In fact, at first, when you talk about a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, they almost seem disconnected. I mean, it seems like what do the three of those have have in common? What, what, what could be the thread that, that makes them all somewhat similar? And Paul begins to use these three in a very, very short little passage there in that second chapter in order to help them make some connections with regards to what it means to be a finisher. Now, the first one he talks about is a soldier. Now, it's interesting that, that a soldier in that particular time period would have been easily recognizable by all of the people. I am told that there were at least 85 different types of soldiers just within the Roman army. 85. Now, I'm not going to share with you all 85. You can go Wikipedia that yourself because anything that's true is on Wikipedia. You know that. So, so you can go look it up there. 85 different types of soldiers. And that did not even count the national soldiers. It didn't count the local soldiers. It didn't count the temple soldiers. I mean, everywhere you looked in first century Ephesus, there would have been soldiers all around you. So when Paul uses the term soldier instantly, everybody says, ah, I know a little bit about soldiers. Then he mentions the athlete. Now, Ephesus was right across the water from Greece Greece was the birthplace of the Olympics. Ephesus had been highly affected by Greece and its philosophy. And so athletics was important in Ephesus. They underwrote athletics. They had athletic events during their festivals. In Ephesus, they even had a national graveyard for gladiators. 
That's how much they venerated their their athletes. So Timothy and the believers in Ephesus would have understood the picture of athletes. And, and then finally he uses farmers. And everybody in those days knew what a farmer was. In fact, it was an agricultural society. Now, for most of us today here in America, if you're like me, if I plant something, I kill it. Green thumb, uh-uh. Like, like, like kiss of death thumb. If you give us flowers and you tell me to go plant them, I'm just going to, I'm going to spare you the money. Don't send us flowers. Don't send us plants. Don't send us bushes. Don't send us trees. Don't talk to me about agriculture. If you want to kill something in your yard, have me come by and touch it and I will kill it. I don't know much about agriculture. Even though, I'll tell you here in just a little bit, I did grow up on a farm. I know a little bit of how farms work. But when it comes to actually being able to do it, I'm not very good at it. However, in the first century, everybody had to grow something. It was an agricultural society. And so Timothy and his congregation would have understood what it meant to be a farmer as well. And so he mentioned soldiers and athletes and farmers and he, and he mentions all of these groups in order to help Timothy and his people know what it means to be a finisher. Now, I'm not going to read the next 18 verses to you. I'll let you do that when you go home. But in those next 18 verses, Paul will literally give all sorts of qualities and characteristics and things that could be applied to every one of those three groupings that would help people understand how to finish. And so let's talk about that. I want for just a moment or two this morning about how these three groups help us to finish. And let's start first with the soldier. To finish, you must have the qualities of a soldier. The qualities of a soldier. Now, I'll tell you what that infers at the very least. To me, it infers this. You and I have some wars that are going to be fought. Paul wouldn't call Timothy to be a soldier unless he knew there were going to be some battles to be fought. Now, hear me when I say this because I'm going to transition some thinking. And that is in the life of the church, you know, the church is to be certainly a loving place. It's certainly to be a family place. But listen to me when I tell you this. I believe that the love and the family a church should have is analogous to the love and family feeling that a soldier has with his platoon. Now, I, I've never been to war, and unfortunately, I should, I probably should have joined the military and got that experience. I don't have that experience, but I, I know enough guys that have been in the military and those that have been to war to know that there is a bond that takes place with another person that you've been in the military with, and especially if you've been to war with, and especially if you've been in the same foxhole with. There's something that happens When you're in a battle together and you're covering someone else's back and they're covering yours and there's something that takes place in that moment when lives are on the line and and you realize that someone's counting on you and you're counting on them. There's a, there's a filial love. There's a, there, there's a connection that takes place that, that military people will tell you there's, there's, there's a brotherhood that exists that is like no other. And that's how it ought to be in the house of God. There should be this love because we're in a battle. We're in some wars. We, we should be covering one another's backs. We, 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 we've, got, we've got an attachment because we're in some battles together. 
I was flying, this is a few years ago, I was flying back from some speaking engagement and I was flying back to Charleston and it was a late night flight, it was a midnight flight and uh, there were just a couple of us that were probably in our 50s and the rest of the plane as we were boarding was loaded up with young men that were probably the ages between 18 and 25. And we were seated in the airplane and I was sitting next to a businessman and it was the short flight from Atlanta to Charleston. It takes about 40 minutes. And we're sitting there. And, you know, when you're on the midnight flight, it's that red-eye flight. And you're just, I'm wanting to get home. The businessman's wanting to get home. I think it was even a Sunday night. And we're just trying to get home. You're exhausted. You're worn out. You're tired. And you're just wanting to rest. It's your last 40 minutes before you get home. This plane is loaded up with 18 to 25-year-old guys. And they are like on crack. I mean, they're, they are buzzed, they are jazzed, they are talking. Some of their talk was really not that great. Um, you know, they were coarse, they were telling coarse jokes, they were, they, and, and the whole plane, I'd never been in a plane like that before. It was a commercial flight, but the whole thing was just like in this upheaval, and the businessman next to me was getting really agitated. And I could tell he was about ready to do something because he was just agitated. I could feel it, you know, you got the vibe from him. And, and it dawned on me as I was sitting there because I, I happened to overhear just a little bit of the conversation of the two young men that were sitting in the, in the row just ahead of us that it finally dawned on me who these guys were on this flight going to Charleston. It dawned on me that these were all recruits that were going to Charleston for the Marine Corps so that they could be picked up to go to Paris Island, which was just a couple hours down the road from Charleston. Now, now you may not know what Paris Island is, but Paris Island is, is like, is, is, is like Dr. Death's gloom place for training. I mean, you go train Marines there. They, they go in there one way and they come out another way. And I mean, I mean, they are met at the airport by their drill sergeant. Now listen, I I was sitting next to this guy. He's getting agitated. It dawns on me what's going on. And I I look at him and I remember this. I told the guy, I said, if you can just, it's, it's a short flight. If you will just be patient, I, I will, I will be able to prove to you that there is a God and he's about ready to vindicate you. Soon as we landed, this was back in the days where the drill sergeant could still pick them up right at the gate. These, these young men who've been messing around, jacking around, coarse, just out of control, certainly undisciplined. They're walking off the plane and they meet this drill instructor. And all of a sudden at that moment, life changes. Because they were fixing to get on a bus. It's probably 1230 now at night in the morning. They're going to get on a bus and they don't realize it totally, but they're not sleeping tonight. Oh no, I don't know when the next time they're going to sleep. Sleeping's not on the agenda. And you can see the drill sergeant. I don't know how they do this to drill sergeants, but he scared me. I mean, I was ready to get in line. I mean, these kids come off and they're these crazed kids and they, they come off and he just looks and they're just... And they're in this line because life has now changed. Why? Because whether they realize it or not, they just signed up to be a soldier. Now, Paul uses this to explain some things to us. Listen, I believe this. I believe we all need a drill sergeant in our life. I do. 
You know what a drill sergeant tells his recruits? This is what he tells them. He says, I'm not your mama. I'm not your friend. I'm not here to sing you to sleep at night. I'm not here to make sure you feel good about yourself. I'm not even here to make sure you're where you're supposed to be all the time. We will fix that. What I am here to do is to train you to win battles, not to feel good about losing them. That's what a drill sergeant does. He looks you in the eye and he says, I am here to train you for war. Now, you may not get it at the moment, but he's trying to keep you alive. He's trying to create in you a winner, someone who survives, someone who presses through, someone who gets to the, someone who gets to go home at night. And there's a piece of being a finisher in the church that you've got to realize that if you're facing battles with addictions or dysfunctions or temptations or torments or proclivities, That you're not here just so you can feel support. You're here to have someone look you in the eye and to tell you, you can win. We're creating winners. We want you to finish. We're not trying to make you just feel good in your war. We're trying to get you to cross a finish line. You need a person like that in your life who's been trained. Yeah, Bishop's a good example, isn't it? I've been under Bishop's care. We'll just leave it at that. I've been under Bishop's care. You got to toughen up. He's a coach. He knows what, what he has to do in order to get a team ready to win. Listen, we're not creating a team that just feels good about being on the field. We're creating a team that wants to win. That's under a mandate. That's got a mission. We're going out for a dominion. We're, we're winning things and people. You got to simplify your life. Have you ever noticed a soldier's footlocker? Wow, you couldn't even get, you couldn't get, well, you sure couldn't get my wife's shoe closet in that footlocker. I'll tell you that right now. Listen, you can't, have you ever seen what a sailor has on a ship by way of a locker? You never seen it? Well, it isn't much. It's just this little thing. Why is that? It's because when you're going to battle, you got to simplify your life. You got to prioritize your life. There are some things that are just basics that you just, you got to hold on to the basics and not get sucked into everything the world's doing, not get sucked into their priorities, sucked into what they feel like you need to have, the burdens, whatever it is, you got to simplify your life. That's what Paul said. He said, don't get entangled in the things of the world. I know people, listen, this amazes me. I know people who, who, who can who out of memory can quote me the winners of the Academy Awards, the actors who won the Academy Awards, who's up for an Academy Award. They can quote me winners and actors and actresses and movies. They can quote me all of these things, but they couldn't quote me one piece of scripture. Is there not something wrong with that picture? And we wonder why we lose battles. I mean, maybe you're a commentator for... ZM, what is it? The, the ZMT or whatever. I don't even know what it is. TMZ? See, I don't even know what that is. TMZ. I just see it up every now and then. Hear me when I say this. Basics. And then you need to fight to win. Soldiers are taught to fight to win. You know, hear me now. I, I'm, I'm, I realize I may not get to everything here this morning because I preached my way into some revelation. Listen to me, hear me. This is going to help. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, you lock in right now. Hear me. 
I'm going to help you. Some of you battle to the place of relief. And then you stop. A soldier is trained to battle to victory. You don't battle just because there's relief. Sometimes we battle just because we get some breathing room finally. You know, it's, it's like, this is what people do. They're, I'll just give you an example. Their marriage is falling apart. They don't want their marriage to fall apart, so they go to war for it. And they finally war to the place where they get their marriage back together. Maybe somebody left and they finally came back. And then they finally get them back and they stop at that place. But not realizing that wasn't God's purpose is to just get them back to you. The purpose was that you would war with that thing to the place of victory. That you would war till it became that which it should be. Amen. We've got a war to the place of victory, not just to the place of relief. I realize relief is such a wonderful feeling because you've not experienced it. But relief is just the signal you got the enemy on the run. Once you got him on the run, don't let him go. Fight until you fight to the place of victory. Amen. Let it be so. Secondly, I'm going to go through this quickly. In order to be a finisher, you have to have the qualities of an athlete. I'm going to go through this fast. As you'll see on the screen, it talks about that you have to be disciplined and practiced for the event. I'm glad this morning that I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works. It is a gift from God. I can't boast about it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I simply, I just simply in humility threw myself on the, uh, on the mercies of God and said, Oh God, forgive me. I acknowledge my sin. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And in that moment, because of his incredible love, he freely in the form of a gift gave me salvation. Praise God. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't be good enough to get it. I'm glad that he gave it to me freely. But just because I got a free gift doesn't mean in this journey that I'm not going to have to discipline myself and get some things under my belt in order to appropriate all the possibility of this free gift into living the life of victory that will get me to the finish line. There's some discipline to it. There's some practice to it. Sure there is. We're, we're the greatest, the United States of America, I'll just go back to the military, is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But even if you're going to fight for it, just showing up and saying, well, I'm, I'm a U.S. citizen, the world doesn't care anymore what country. They'll shoot you dead. You have to be able to be, be trained, to be disciplined. There's, there, there are features of your life that have to be circumscribed in order for you to appropriate the citizenry with which you now reside. And that's what happens with an athlete. An athlete has to practice in order to finish the race. You 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 got to want to get on the field. I'm hurrying now. You, you you can't be a bench sitter. Finishers are those who are involved. Finishers aren't those who sit on benches. Finishers get involved somehow. They get on the field. They say, "God, give it to me. Let 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 me run with it. Let me participate in it. Let me get my hands on it." That, that that's a finisher. And, and then you need to adhere to the rules of the game. You know, every race, it's interesting, has rules to it. And you can't shortcut. Years ago, you may have seen this years ago in the Boston Marathon. There was a lady, apparently, who had started the marathon and ran a couple miles. And then she found a shortcut. 
And then she finished the last couple miles and everybody thought that she had ran that in an amazing time when in fact she really didn't run the race at all. She had cheated and shortcut and they eventually found it out and of course uh, they dealt with it appropriately. I'm not sure what they do with something like that. But hear me when I say this, that there's a Christianity out there that's being propagated that's trying to give people shortcuts. We don't hear about holiness anymore and God expects holiness. We don't hear about circumspection and, and, and circum, uh, circumscribing our life anymore because we want shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to maturity. There are no shortcuts, uh, you know, to longevity. There are no shortcuts. There are things we do in the kingdom. There are things we do even in the church that, that provide uh, an ability for us to run a race that gets us across the finish line. I guarantee you, just showing up in my marriage didn't take us 34 years. There were things that I had to put energy to. I had to discipline myself in. My wife would say the same thing. All of you that are married know this to be true. There are things that you have to do if you're going to run the long haul with that spouse of yours. Amen. And, And that's a part of being a finisher. And then finally, to be a finisher, you have to have the qualities of a farmer. The qualities of a farmer. A farmer is one who looks to the future. He sows to the future. You have to think ahead. You have to consider the finish line. If you're listening to me this morning, do you know there's a finish line out there? And and God wants you to cross the finish line. But do you have your eyes on the finish line? Do you have your eyes on the prize? Do you have your eyes on that day? Are you being patient in understanding that you may not receive all the prize or all the reward that you're going to receive at this particular moment? You know, a farmer plants a seed in the ground and it takes literally months for that seed to germinate in order to uh, birth the plant, which will be ultimately his harvest. You can't plant a seed and then expect 24 hours later to get the prize or to get the reward or to reap the harvest of that which you sow. Now that seems simple to our mind, but we're living in a day and age where we want to be rewarded instantly. We want to be rewarded because we signed up for, we signed up for the sport. I should get a trophy. You mean you don't get a trophy for signing up? Well, in the day we're living in, you might. In fact, we want to make sure everybody gets an MVP award. We won't give out MVPs anymore because everybody's an MVP. We won't give out, you know, trophies just to the winner because everybody has to be a winner. Because God forbid somebody's fragile psyche may be bruised forever if they don't get a trophy. Let me tell you, we're teaching our kids that everybody gets a trophy. Not everybody gets a trophy. Listen, that's just life. Not everybody gets the job. Not everybody should get a high school diploma. Of course, we're giving high school diplomas out to everybody. I personally think you should be able to read to get a high school diploma. But that's just me. I'm an over-expector. But in the day we're living in, you can't print, you can't write, you can't read, you can't hardly tie your shoes, but we're going to pass you to the next grade. Why is that? Because God knows their psyche couldn't handle the fact that they, that they didn't pass whatever line they had to pass. Listen, we are doing a disservice to people. You gotta understand that we're in a race. That this race is important. 
And you know, there may be times we fail. What do we do when we fail? We're not getting affirmed in our failure. Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that's been sent to you. If I fail, I get up because there's grace to get up. The grace empowers me and I keep running for the finish line. I want my trophy, not because... I don't get a trophy because I stumble, bumble around. I get a trophy because I'm crossing the finish line. Finishers. Finishers. Amen. I preached my way out of my notes here. I'll finish with this and I'm done. I just got back from Boston with my wife. I mentioned that. And uh, we took the tour through Boston and uh, I got to go see Paul Revere's home. Someone came up after service and mentioned to me, they said, uh, you may want to talk a little bit more about Paul Revere because I'm not sure people know who Paul Revere is anymore. I thought, you know, you're probably right. Because there's some people that, you know, they, they passed that grade without getting, you know, they got the trophy and they didn't find out who Paul Revere was. Paul Revere was the guy, you know, when the British were coming into the Boston Harbor, that he would look up at the old North church steeple and see the lights, one if by land, two if by sea, and I on the opposite shore will be. And he jumps on the horse and he begins to ride, Paul Revere, shouting what? The British are coming. The British are coming. Yes, that's the story. Many people don't know, but when Paul Revere was riding, he, he, he rode to Lexington. And in Lexington, he rode to a pastor's house. His name was Jonas Clark. And it just so happened, it was after midnight, that uh, there were two Johns that were visiting Jonas, John Hancock and John Adams. And when Paul Revere got there and explained to these three men who had been visiting late into the night, into the early morning hours that the British were coming, Hancock and Adams looked at the pastor and he said, Pastor Clark, are your men ready for what's about ready to take place? And Pastor Jonas said these words. He said, they've been trained for this very hour. The next day, the British show up. We comically say in the church parking lot there in Lexington. Reverend Clark's men met the British there in the parking lot. And the British major calls out before the first shot is fired and basically says in old English, He says, ye villains, lay down your weapons to the only sovereign, George, king of all of Great Britain. And Reverend Clark, standing with his men in that parking lot, shouted back, we have no sovereign but God and we serve no king but Jesus. That'll get you going. And they were ready and they showed up and they understood that this was their moment. And he trained them to be finishers. You see, they just didn't talk about liberty. They knew they had to finish liberty. They just didn't talk about walking the faith. They actually walked the faith. They, they actually got in the hunt. They got on the field. And that's exactly what Paul was saying to Timothy. He was saying, son... 
you got to get these precepts into the people. And it's this, it doesn't matter really how you start. Starting is important. Don't misunderstand me. Starting is important, but that's not the end of the story. It's not just how you start. It's how you finish. This is how Jesus would say it. He says that he who endured to the end shall be saved. Will you be a finisher? Everyone in the room can be a finisher. You can be a finisher. Amen. Stand with me. That was the director's cut from first service, by the way. Listen to me right now closely. There may be someone here today and, and you never got started on this. Maybe there's never been a moment you've opened up your heart to Jesus Christ. Invited him in. Never responded to his call. As I mentioned, finish lines are important, but there is a moment you mark on the calendar as to when you got started. And maybe today is your mark on the calendar where you need to get started. Here's the good news, that he who begins a good work will be faithful to complete it. If you'll get started, he'll help you. He'll empower you. He'll give you grace to strengthen you so that you can complete the journey, the race, the battle. It's winnable. I'm telling you, it's winnable. I don't care what you face, it's winnable. And maybe if that's you today, before you go, I'll be here long enough that you can run me down. And I'd love to pray with you. And I'd, I'd love to lead you in a prayer that brings you into the kingdom to get you started. And if that's you today, God's sovereign in these matters, but you've got to respond in some form or fashion. So before you leave today, I'm going to dismiss everyone here in just a few short moments, but before you dismiss, please, just for a moment, say, Lord, is today the day I I need to get on this journey? I need to get started. If that's you, I sure would love to pray with you and And then you're going to come back and you're going to meet our senior pastor and you're going to meet the rest of the staff because we've got a vision that's extended all over the globe. But you got to get started. Now, there's some of you here today that you're in the journey and maybe you've been stumbling around a little and you need to get back on it a little bit better, a little bit more fervently. But but as I'm talking, this is your moment to simply say, Lord, I receive your grace that's strengthening me right now to arise and get back in the race, to get back in the journey, to get back in the battle, to be a finisher. There's grace available for you to do that. The grace isn't, hear me, some of you think grace is there in order to make you feel good about sitting in ditches. I'm telling you, the grace is there to get you out of the ditch, get you dusted off, cleaned up, and back back on the road again. Don't sit in your ditch. Don't sit on the side of the road. Don't don't justify your defeat. Let God enable you to arise and say there are better days yet ahead. There's a finish line. I may not be the first one across, but I will be one that will get across. In Jesus' name. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for everyone under the sound of my voice. And Lord, I'm praying right now for for those that might be just working through their first time decision for many perhaps that are right here at this very moment that are just needing a sense of that empowering grace that's lifting them, Lord. 
I don't know whether you can give them a feeling or not, but let them sense spiritually right now that you are lifting them from that place and enabling them to move forward. Lord, we speak a movement forward that the people of God are moving forward towards the finish line. I pray for the young. I pray for the old. I pray for everyone in between. I'm asking, Lord, that you would cause us to be finishers, to be soldiers, to be athletes, to be farmers. That whatever it may be, whatever we connect with, but right now, Lord, we would arise and that we would put the finish line in front of us and we would say, I am, I am a finisher. Can you say that before the Lord right now? Can you say, I am a finisher? I'm a finisher. I'm, I'm committing to that. That's, that's, that's my confession. I'm a finisher. I'm a finisher. They may not believe it. No one may believe it, but I'm a finisher. I'm a finisher. And Lord, I thank you right now that you're doing that. You're, you're actually pulling people out. You're actually lifting people up. You're actually putting them back on the journey. You're thinking that they were, they were somehow relegated to that place. And you're telling them, no, I'm lifting you up right now to get you going again. Come on now, cooperate with the Lord. He's doing it. Because there are victories yet to be won. There are races yet to be run. Come on, there's a harvest that's yet to come. And each one of us can participate in it. Lord, I pray right now that your blessing would descend upon us. Lord, I pray right now that as we're reaching people in other nations, that there would be something that would happen that would help us reach those next door to us, at our workplace, in our schools. Just, Lord, everywhere you put us, there will not be one square inch of this globe that living stones will not go out and touch because we're finishers. I thank you for that. Now, right now, in, in the next 30 seconds, I want you to make your commitments before the Lord. If he's asking you to come see me before it's over because you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, make your commitment right now. You're not going to walk out that door before you come see Pastor Kevin, and he's just going to pray with you for just a real short moment and get you started. You're making your commitment to do that before you go. If, if, right, now, if right now you're making a commitment to arise out of your ditch, then what are you going to do? in order to make sure you're going forward. Make your commitments now before you walk out that door. God hears, he knows, he knows the heart. And Lord, I thank you for all that you've done and all that you've accomplished. And Lord, all our hearts cry is that we make the name of Jesus great. As it's in his name we pray. And all the people said, amen and amen.